What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 144. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the warrior himself, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I'm fine and dandy, and welcome to all our legions of viewers and listeners and just yeah. general fans around the world. So um, many. All so many. Fans. It's it's the, the attention, the fan mail, it's 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 almost overwhelming, but you know. It, it, yes, it's 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 truly uh, amazing and impressive that we are able to go to the shops considering the inundation of fans. It's like uh, Michael Jackson level stuff. They closed the supermarket down for us. Honestly, yeah. At least I think that's what happened. I might've been drunk and it could have been two in the morning and it may just have been closed anyway, but you know. It may very well have had something to do with you being naked too. That, that, look, you know, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a scandalous slur. I mean, I was wearing a G string at the time, quite obviously not naked. And I think, you know, the thongs meant that, you know, I qualified according to their, their dress code and then they, me banging on the door at four in the morning, that they really should have, they obviously didn't get the memo, but I was coming. Um, it's it's tragic how we are so badly treated in this society, isn't it? It really is. It's tall poppy syndrome is what it is. They just, uh, you know, they hate us because <laughs> they ain't us. Um, that's that's the truth of the matter, um, and that's probably why you get so many rude customers in your world, line of work. I'd imagine. Uh, they just don't well, know who they're dealing with. They 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 do after they're finished with me. I've injured enough. Have you invented any other holidays this week? You had May the fourth last week. Revenge uh, of a sixth, the fifth. Um, it was unofficial Saint Patty's Day. Because the manager Patrick finally returned to the store after being in uh, jury duty and then sick, so Patrick is back, and um, yeah, so it was it was St. Paddy's Day today. Oh, welcome back, Patrick. Yeah, uh, doing your civic duty. I got signed up to do um, jury duty a few months ago, but I had to uh, nope out because of my uh, university commitments. I was quite disappointed actually. I was looking forward to it. My work were absolutely spitting chips. They use an Aussie Turner phrase. They were like, no, get out of it. And I'm like, I can't. They're like, oh, would you tell them your work's very important? And I'm like, no, that's not a reason. They won't leave me out because my work's important. Like, you, you realize there's basically no reason you can I can give them work or they'll let me out. But funnily enough, tell them you've got classes. They're like, yeah, no worries. Fuck off. Huh. All right. So I didn't have to students anyway. There's your tips. If you want to avoid um, jury duty in Australia, <laughs> tell them you're a student. They don't ask any questions, apparently. <laughs> yeah, the slightly annoying thing is I have a feeling I know what thing I was being called up for to be to be potentially part of. And um, it, and it sounded really interesting, but the, the jury, the, the um, the proceeding got dismissed after um, like two or three days because people in the jury got sick. Have you heard there's a virus going around? I don't know. Have you come across that yet? Uh, well, there's a flu. I mean, not, nothing else going around. I mean, it, it, if anyone suggests anything else, it's fake news, frankly. Should we should we crack on? And, and, and enough with a sparkling repartee. Um, mm. Should we crack on with our – I'm going to suggest, I'm going to make a suggestion we do things a little differently. Normally we would start with a chain movie and mm -hmm. go from there, but mm -hmm. I think there's a bigger fish on the line tonight. There is. I is. think we start with a strange cast and then move on to the yeah. same movie from there. Yeah, let, let, let's let's uh, go to the multiverse of madness. Now, this is what people um, tune in for, like a, a movie that came out a week ago. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's... I am going to put the spoilers note up. Um, we won't go deep, deep, deep into spoilers. I don't Speak think. Speak for yourself. 
Uh, okay, we'll go deep into spoilers. So anyone who doesn't want to, who hasn't seen it yet. half-assed on the spoilers. If you haven't seen it, come back in about 20 minutes. The professor dies and everything's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, look, I, I, thought, I thought Gandalf in the after-credit scene was, was actually a really nice touch. It was a really interesting way of recasting Indiana Jones as well. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, his love affair with Dumbledore is one for the ages. Um, I, I really approved of that. I thought it was beautiful. I, I mean, the rose petals on the bed was a little tacky. Much, much. I thought it was a very reminiscent of American Beauty, and I liked that. Yeah, but, you know, just frankly, Harrison Ford doesn't quite have the legs that um, Mina did. And, frankly, casting Kevin Spacey in that role was controversial. Mm. Um Anyway, <laughs> let's get on to actual Doctor Strange. Strange in a multiverse of madness. Doctor Strange and Strange cast a forbidden spell that opens the doorway to the multiverse. That ha- did not happen in this film. Not that me. happened in uh, the last Spider-Man film. Previously on Marvel Cinematic Movies. Previously, including alternate versions of himself. His threat to humanity was too great for the combined forces of Strange, Wong, and Wanda Maximoff. That is not what happens in the film. Yeah, that is that, a lie. That is the INDB synopsis, believe it yeah. or not. So that is um, not what happens. Mm. We have a we have a film open with a, a chase sequence where a different looking Doctor Strange is accompanied by someone we don't know who we learn later is someone called America Chavez, played by someone whose name I am not even going to attempt to pronounce. Zochitzel Gomez. Um if it's you speak like you're Spanish a speaker. Let me know if I assume it's Spanish. Um, I don't know. He's Latino, um, Latina, however you wish to put it. Uh, and they are running away from a big monster thing. Mm-hmm. And they decide they can't get away from it at some point. They're trying to get this book to try and defeat the monster. Mm-hmm. And things go from there. Basically, I'm not going to get just trying to give a plot. Why did I get into that? Um, <laughs> she has the ability to open portals between universes. Doctor Strange has to attempt to keep her safe from the Scarlet Witch who has decided she would like to take those powers for herself in order to live a life in a different universe where her fictional sons from WandaVision actually exist. Yes. And Doctor Strange has to go through a journey through the multiverse mm-hmm. in order to defeat um, defeat uh, the Scarlet Witch and defend um, America from yeah. America Chavez, not the country. Yeah, it's America. This is a communist movie. This is going to be confusing. Um, from the let's let's just um quickly cut to the chase. There, you 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 jumped ahead there and uh explained that Wanda Maximoff is the villain of the piece. I don't think I'm jumping ahead too bad. It's like the first 15 minutes, like true, very true. Like, I would, I would normally be like one of my hello, Neve. Nice, thanks for joining us this week. Hello, Neve. Welcome to the party. Um, we are in spoiler territory. If you don't want to know anything about mm-hmm. the new Doctor Strange film, you're in the wrong place, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> uh, I we we talked about this in our review of WandaVision mm. a bit over a year ago when that was on. There were yeah. hints in that that she was going to potentially become the villain in in a future you know Marvel film, whether it was a new mm. Avengers film, which is not, or the the sequel to Doctor Strange. Um, mm. My initial, comp- I well, let's take a step back for a second. Overall, what were your thoughts about the film? Overall, it was fine. It was a good, solid blockbuster movie, um, but it 
didn't go anywhere weird uh, or any any way as weird as I was hoping for or expecting it to. Um, I didn't feel the Sam Raimi vibe to it too much. There were a couple of standout moments, like the chase sequence in the tunnels underneath the the ocean. That was that was cool. Um, and my biggest problem with it is some of the reveals and deaths ended up kind of feeling a bit trolley and it's like okay sure but um, it's not as bad as what they had in one division where they got evan uh, peters coming in as the other um quicksilver but it still kind of sucked a little bit and the trailers and a lot of the hubbub around the movie during production kind of spoiled the movie or any of the surprise which is a disservice to the movie because this the stakes are so high for these ones especially after the monumental success of no way home this was everyone was kind of oh my god this is going to change everything we're going to see we're going to see all these different versions of all these different characters we're going to get the reveal of the new wolverine and all that stuff it's like well well, well, well yeah it's never going to do all that is never gonna fulfill those needs it's gonna do something else and in the end it was kind of a safe movie and dr strange was a little bit like indiana jones in raiders of the last ark he was the main guy that we follow for the story but he wasn't exactly he was kind of incidental to them to what happens which was interesting i, I don't disapprove of that but at the same time it's like as two Doctor Strange movies where it's been fine. He seems to be better as a supporting character rather than a solo character. That's I disagree my... with your, your synopsis there. I would sort of put it in the category of that was okay. Hmm. Um, I would say you, I actually was very much enjoying the film for the mm -hmm. first two thirds. The mm -hmm. third act completely shit the bed. Mm. uh it really just went way over top but tried to cram way too many different elements of story into into one third of a film and mm -hmm. it just got a bit silly and not in a good way it's fair um i'm with you i think it's a good description of corvus film safe mm. um none of the reveals all the reveals were pretty much what we expected them to be so we got professor x we knew about that mm -hmm. pretty much when there wasn't you know, lot we all knew really. We didn't. We knew, but we didn't know. Well, like, I mean, we use his voice, voice in one of the trailers, so we all kind of knew it was there. Which means that's as Professor X. We now have that's the intro of the X Men and mutants into the MCU, which is kind of cool. But we all saw it coming. Uh, we all knew John Krasinski mm -hmm. was going to be in an MCU film. That was a worst case secret going around. Yeah. Again, while we were talking about. Um, WandaVision a year ago, I think we talked about the idea of John Krasinski being, you know, Reed Richards. So again, mm -hmm. while there was no overt hints in the trailers or anything that was going to happen, no mm -hmm. shock there, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's your two major reveals. You had a couple of nice cameos in Elishana Lynch as Captain Marvel, um, uh, Hayley Atwell, our fan, our favorite Hayley Atwell. We were the only people in the world who liked Agent Carter of a TV show, apparently. Yes. yes. Um, the first season anyway. Um, yep. and it was, it was nice great to see her in. Yep, I actually really liked her little five minute cameo as um yeah. Captain Great Britain. Is it Captain England? I can't remember. Cap Captain Carter, Captain Carter, that's right. Um, yeah. but Captain so it was Carter. cool. Um, 
I didn't know anything about Black Bolt, but what happened to him was fucking cool. Well, that, that was a really cool death, and the, he was the same actor that played the character of Black Bolt in the much lamented Inhumans. Which nobody saw. Um, <laughs> or it's Anson Mount, uh, I believe. Um, so th- th- those are all fairly safe reveals, really. Nothing, to, as you sort of noted, there was talk, oh, well, you know, Tom Cruise is going to be in it as this level type of Iron Man who's apparently sometimes in the comic books, and you're like, you know, no, that wasn't there. In fact, safe's a good way to put it. Um, that really didn't take a lot of risks. Mm. Um, again, the, the villain, the, the switching of a hero to a villain could have been quite a, a reveal, but again, mm. they telegraphed that well over a year ago. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it really didn't do anything that great. I mean, one thing it did bother me, though, is that, Aside from, like I said, they just got to cram so much shit into that third act. Mm. Um, that yet again, the homework question. Like, yeah, there is so much homework to do before this film. If you haven't seen WandaVision, yeah, you're gonna have a. You're not gonna enjoy this film very much because a lot of it relies on all of it relies on stuff that happened in that show. Um, if you didn't see What If, that's gonna make it hard. It's gonna make it kind of like, all right, so zombie doctor strange and captain carter you th- there's i mean it's not essential but it very much informs a lot of it and because that um the what if series i feel has much more influence on this movie than loki does when the end of that thing is the sacred timeline is fractured and destroyed and it's like I have okay to say it, it carries on here it carries on from Loki, but I'm like, I didn't actually think of Loki once during the whole film. Like, I guess it kind of, there'd been hints yeah. at Loki. That's also, there's another problem I have is like, which mechanism to access the multiverse are we using today? Because we have Dr. Strange's spell. Mm-hmm. We have Loki fucking around in the multiverse. And now we have America. What's her face? Fucking around. Like, how many different people can travel between the multiverses now? Yeah. And, and, you know, this, you, you said before about having, um, oh, uh, Anthony Hayes, he just says, Hi, guys, can I ask you a question? Do you guys see hidden messages in Hollywood films or does that not interest you? Um, I think we'll talk a little bit more about that maybe later when we're not talking about Doctor Strange because we want to get through that as much as we can so people can join in with the rest of the show. But long story short, if it's messaging on so like social commentary and things like that, like we've talked about of um, having representation forced into a movie when it should be more organic, yes, I we do see that a lot. Um, and it does interest me personally to see that sort of stuff happening, but I would much rather see it happen intelligently is the short answer. I, I think that's, that's it, um, other than, you know... Um... The, uh, the hidden messages confirming that, uh, you know, they did find aliens at Area 51 in 1948. They're everywhere if you look for them. Uh, that That's in the Pentaverate, which I will talk about later on. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so that, I, I was like, well, I didn't get, I'm with you, I didn't get a lot of Loki out of this. I mean. Yeah. Um, and and you said, you said before, so like, oh, we have Professor Xavier in there, which introduces the X-Men to the MCU. Like, yeah, kind of, but not in our universe. They've still not actually been introduced in our universe. No, and yeah. is it now going to be, uh, do the mutants come in because of the fractured timeline from Loki or does America Chavez make, confuse things up or does Dr. Strange fuck things up again? Because there's um, a lot of, especially with the, the end credit with the, uh, the reveal of Charlize Theron's character, who 
I still don't know who she is, so therefore Claire, I don't... apparently. I had to Google it. Okay. Um, you kind of wonder, all right, is that going to be a thing? Or uh, all the universe is going to start folding in on themselves? Is that what the next kind of assembled superheroes movie is going to be, where we're getting a bit of a crisis of infinite Earths? I I don't know. Um, yeah. It, it was it was just just kind of kind of messy story writing and my biggest problem with the movie overall is it didn't while i appreciate the story arc that wanda has gone on it diminishes the point of the wandavision show wandavision was designed to essentially represent the stages of grief and by the end of it, she is she comes out of it in a healthier position. And then to have the the the, the does end. She though, of it, does she though? I don't think she does. She's I she's healthier than what she was, but then she gets corrupted by the book that corrupts all or whatever they want to call also, it. So she also, and this is a problem of a film here as well, mm. refuses to take it um refuses yeah. to take it uh, uh, responsibility for the fact she took an entire town hostage and tortured them and traumatized them for life and notice dr strange gives her a pass at the start of this one well i know you you made it right or whatever and i'm like yeah no no she really didn't and everybody just kind of gone they're there they're there it's cool you did take a town of people hostage and torment them for what a couple of months but you know you're a it's sad okay. it's okay travis she did it for the love of imaginary children and she was sad so like that means it's okay but like i mean it's, 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 I mean, I'm not losing sleep over it, but I'm just like, I it, don't think someone should be like going, calling around, going, hey, that was kind of fucked up. I, Anthony, kind of, I don't believe Ant Man is a mutant. Oh, I see what you did there. A mutant. Badum ching. You should get a job on this show. Um, <laughs> that's, that's far too sophisticated for our kind of material. See, I, I think that I overall, I appreciated the fact that they really invested some time into at least trying to build some kind of empathy and narrative for Wanda's reasoning. But they did, they did it ham-fistedly, they didn't do it um, intelligently, and it ended up coming off as sad, cliche, pathetic kind of woman, uh, like, like what you'd get in sort of like fatal attraction where she just becomes so obsessed with this idea that all rationale goes out the window and she just justifies everything because it's for the kids. It's like, mm, you could have done that smarter. You I've could... heard it called misogynistic. I don't know yeah. if I agree with that. What do you think? I don't think it's... <laughs> I get where they're coming from with that, that critique, but I don't think it was misogynistic. I just don't think it was well written, honestly. I think that they tried to do something intelligent with the character, but they, <laughs> I think they realized, oh shit, this is this movie is called Doctor Strange, and we haven't actually done much of a character arc for him because he's not really on much of a character arc in this movie, and he's a babysitter for a lot of it, and he. He doesn't make decisions in this. And I would I would be okay with that if that was their choice and it was sort of like the decision of that one in 14 million possibility that he saw in Infinity War was such an impressive 
massive thing for him to just choose unilaterally as the one person to make the decision that that was the right choice. If that had kind of fucked him up in everything else, sure. But since then, we've seen him in No Way Home, where he goes against the Sorcerer Supreme, who's Wong, and does a spell that breaks reality. It's like, okay, but we don't, he doesn't talk about that. So it's like, okay, it, it, it's just kind of, he's just left floating in the wind. I didn't you know? necessarily find myself having a problem with that. I think it was fairly light on, mm. uh, you know, the constant criticisms of, being in different worlds, how you're just like how Stephen Strange is just as bad, and you know, um, questions of you know, uh, egotism and you know, uh, arrogance, and you know, sort of making selfish and you know, potentially short sighted decisions, which you're right, doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense considering he made an ultra, um, non extraordinarily good decision in, in the Avengers films to you know, hand over the Power Stone in order to um, you know, get to the one result that's uh, killed Thanos, mm. um. Though that's it, I found myself thinking halfway through the film. So essentially, we have this character, America Chavez, who has his power. Uh, Scarlet Witch wants to get it off her. In the initial chase sequence, the other Doctor Strange, but mm -hmm. who is protecting her, trying to get her to the, the, the book that solves everything. So mm -hmm. he can't, she can't control her power. That's why she can't just snap her fingers and switch between realities. So, but he can. So he's sucking the power, her power out of her and in the process, killing her. And you're like, is that really a bad decision? Like, it's not a particularly pleasant decision, mm. but even doing so, he's saving millions of lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting into utilitarianism here, and we do get a little, <laughs> a little heavy philosophically. Um, <laughs> is that not a... It's like, a, oh, no, that's a horrible decision. Like, is it though? Like, it sounds like it's actually a, you know, a rough decision, but not necessarily the worst decision at the whole yeah. point. By the end of the film, we're like, obviously he gets away with it because it's a movie. But yeah. like, I didn't think it was the worst decision in the world. I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I think I might have backed it in a yeah. little bit there. Yeah. I, no, I, I kind of appreciated that element of it and goes to Vulcan ideology of needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Um, but it was like that whole book thing how having polar opposites is like, okay, well, at least in this movie, they didn't have a polar opposite. They didn't go straight up, oh, it's Master Mordo is the bad guy because that's what's in the comics and we need the perfect opposite of Doctor Strange. They already did that with Kaecilius in the first movie and it was okay, largely thanks to Mads Mikkelsen being great. Um, but the book, <laughs> it did... What? So the, she was she was trying to steal America Chavez's power so that she could then go to another universe where she already had the kids. But she makes it to the book, which gives you whatever you need. So why didn't they just go, hey, you know what? Take the book and create them. Create uh, I think the it's, it's, they, and they did address that somewhat in the film, and they said, well, why don't you just ask her? And she'll take you to wherever you want to go. Yeah. Um, and she said, well, no, that's fine. But like, what if I get sick and I need to find a cure? The cure will be somewhere in the multiverse. So I need to be able to travel with the multiverse whenever I want. So that kind of covers that as well a little bit. Like she can't just you know create a universe and 
with her kids, but what if those kids don't work out so well? And a bit like Rick and Morty, she needs to bury them in the backyard and, you know. <laughs> but she she literally changed reality. So it, it seems like a bit of a thing. Oh, Anthony's come back into the chat. Um, Thor and Loki always get the airtime. Why doesn't Marvel give Odin a chance, uh, a look in? He's powerful, too even more so. Uh, but Hollywood need glamorous, fit, uh, young, fit and healthy look. Well, they did make Thor fat, or he made himself fat, lol. Um, a thought-provoking question here, guys. Thor used to sh be shown with wings on his helmet like Hermes, but lost that look in recent years and was given Captain, Amer uh, given Cap Captain America, now with a winged helmet. Any thoughts why? Um, no idea on the, the wings, but it is a good point that all of the superheroes are pretty, and the time where thor becomes fat thor for lack of a better descriptor it's somewhat made a joke of when he's suffering from post-traumatic stress which maybe they could have handled that a little bit better and not made a joke of something that is genuinely debilitating for many 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 people but yeah it's it's part of the superhero mythos there's like you look at pretty much any of the Marvel characters or any of the DC characters, then they're always godlike physiques, beautiful, or at the very least middlingly attractive people. And that's just the way that they always are. People want to look up to heroes. That's the, that's the point. They are something to aim for. And it, um, they're, they're re-representations re of the Jesus thing where you want to, it's a good, ah, oh, yes, such a good embodiment of humankind. And I want to be like that person, even if just physically or if I can't get there spiritually or whatever. So I think that's why they do it, because it's part of the God mythos of superheroes. That said, I would definitely pay to see Odin in a film with, say, Conchu in like a hangover style film where they just go to Vegas for the weekend. That would be like just shenanigans ensue. That would be awesome. <laughs> Stop giving the universe ideas, Travis. You're losing out on so much money. What did you think of? What did you think of Zochitl Gomez in America um, as America Chavez? She was delightful. She did her role very well. Um, she wasn't given much to really do beyond the MacGuffin for the movie. Um, the one one or two scenes where she actually gets a chance to actually be America Chavez and be involved in the story and progress her story. It's good. Like where she's taught, uh, she steps on the memory thing and she sees the, the last day that she saw her parents alive. Um, she played that very well, subtly um, when she's, and then uh, the opposite side where she's just walking through and she just appears with food and they have that exchange with Bruce Campbell. It was like it was quite well done, but largely the the quality of that little scene came from Bruce Campbell doing what he does best, uh, which is hitting himself in the face. <laughs> um, I thought she was fine. I feel really bad for her because she is being butchered a lot online by assholes, and she does not deserve that. No one I've deserves. Heard people that. say some mean things about her as well. I was like. I'm with you. Like, I don't think she got a lot of quality material and she's kind of just there to run from place to face looking scared for most of her film and yeah. throw some punches at the end. Like, yeah, 
I I don't think we can really judge anybody on the very limited material they gave her in this. I mm. thought she was fine. She was good for yeah. whatever she had to do. But, yeah. you know, I, I had absolutely no problems with her. Um, I'll tell you who the standout for this movie was for me, though. Rachel McAdams. Yeah. Oh, I oh, think yeah, Rachel, Rachel McAdams doing Rachel McAdams, really. Yeah, but she was she was still enjoyable. I I really just enjoyed her the subtle difference of personality between our universe, um, whatever her name is. Um, what is her character's name? Uh, Christine. There we go. That's um, how impressive she was. We can't remember her character's name. She is <laughs> female love interest number six two one. Uh, that's the that's the number of the universe. Six one six female love interest. Six one six, you know, file under Jane Foster and Liv Tyler's character from The Incredible Hulk. Um, <laughs> I, for me, I, for me, it was definitely Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen really got really the stretch well. of legs in this one. Um, I, I'll be back to something you said a while ago, but Sam Raimi didn't get to do a lot of what he wanted to do in his film. I think it's pretty mm. obvious. It's like yeah. I don't know why they hire these kind of directors who have. A yeah. distinct style, and then come in and make it by committee, by the looks of it. Apparently, mm -hmm. he didn't know this had to join on to One Division until he was halfway through writing it. <laughs> so, I don't think there was a lot of him in there, but there were bits and pieces from now in. So, one of the things I really enjoyed about the film was the the horror elements and the really gruesome elements to some of the film. Like you mentioned earlier, Black Bolt's death scene was really gruesome, <laughs> and when One Division takes out Reed Richards. That was incredibly gruesome as well, and I loved it. Like, yes, more of this, please. Come on, have some balls. But, um, but what the other part of it, the, the Raimi sort of effect, if you will, was I think there were a lot of references in there to classic horror. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard a lot of people say Fright Night, um, but one that really stood out for me was Carrie. So especially the scene in the Illuminati headquarters, which does, in fairness, look a hell of a lot like the councils of Rick. Um <laughs> No surprise. <laughs> this was written by someone who worked on Rick and Morty. Um, in uh, what's his name? Uh, Waldron, uh, Michael Waldron. Yeah, um, they did look at the Council of Ricks, but that scene when she's got blood down her face and she's walking in taking people out that was 100% carry. And I was oh. like, okay, I you know, I liked that. Mm. Um, but even beyond the really nice makeup effects, I really felt she she really suited the villain she very nicely, really hard to. To humanize their character more, I think Benedict Cumberbatch did a great job as well. He's a real pro. The mm. problem, I guess, with the only the downside to her performance for me, they turned her so fast like 10, like I said, 10, 15 minutes into the film, she's gone evil. Like, pretty much the first scene she's in, in the first scene she's in, she's oh, actually, sorry, I'm evil. <laughs> you know, you're like, Yeah, do we have I... built up a little bit to this? Like, wouldn't there be a little bit of tension? Like, we all know she's kind of fucked up because we saw WandaVision. But mm. He doesn't know she's fucked up, you know. Like, could be, yeah, he was um, dust. You know, could we had a little bit of, you know, bit of, you know, him, bit of him trusting her, and oh no, she's gonna betray him. Um, yeah, they just went, they just launched straight into it. You're like, oh, okay, we're doing this now, are we? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was because it essentially kind of started with a bang, with a ch literally with a chase sequence, and the death of a Doctor Strange and then the the calm before the storm and then 
just straight away. So like, oh yeah, you know what? I realize as Wanda that I am strong enough to take on every single mystical arts member, even though they have been protecting Earth from Dormammu based off of what we know from the first movie. It's like, okay, what? So she's more powerful than Dormammu? Ish? Wait, what, what, what is the power level here? It got confusing quickly and it just... Because it needs to. You make a good point. Basically, the, the downside with magical, I guess it's true of probably any comic book film, really, but the magical superheroes is that they can do, their powers are whatever her film needs them to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's one of my, my, my final criticism of her film is, and I think I mentioned it last week, we're getting into some pretty wacky territory now. With <laughs> We started with the more grounded superheroes, the ones you've kind of gone, go in a mm-hmm. flying suit? Maybe um but you know now we're getting into some really really hardcore weird ones which yeah. it feels like you're reading a comic book series and that's just half a problem with comic book series i used to really want to read comics when i was a kid but you'd pick one up and it'd be like issue 57 of you know part 57 of 200 yeah i haven't got time to go back and read the other 56 issues. and then you know? not only that but in sort of like one one bubble in the corner of the bottom of the page it's like oh this is in reference to what happened in spider-man uh, number 137 but that's not even part of this just what, what? <sighs> it gives you to feel like it's it's almost a closed ecosystem now like if you haven't been on board up until now yeah yes you can catch up but you have to yeah um from the beginning and go through i talked about the homework earlier but just it's a really into these really esoteric uh mm-hmm. sort of superheroes now with the eternals and shang chi and you know now um wonder and dr strange and magic and stuff and you're like mm-hmm. spells and witches and you're like well maybe mm. maybe actually we will get a merlin character i wouldn't um i wouldn't um i would i wouldn't necessarily be surprised that something someone that somewhere is working on that like who, who has the who has the ip who has the rights to to merlin probably no one um but uh, I, it, it was. I'm starting to get a little frustrated with these films. I think they're. You, you've been talking about it for a while, so you're ahead of the curve on this one. Mm. That they're diminishing returns. You know, mm. um, what made this film probably more tolerable than anything else was it was hard, more hardcore than any mm-hmm. of the other Marvel films. That it was not an R-rated film. Mm. I think they probably should have. Um, yeah, like, they should have gone R-rated. R-rated because like the. the you know, uh, Deadpool made all the money as an R rated. People want to see, yeah. R rated Joker was R rated, made a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't just have to make films for children, no, still, like your Marvel, you can get away with that. Your Disney, you've got the money, but yeah, in fact, it's two hours, it was kind of nice. Like, I remember yeah, walking yeah, out that, of was, a, that was refreshing walking out of a film going, you know what, that's the difference between this and the Batman. Like, the Batman had an hour of entertaining content, this had about the same. But that the Batman decided to add on an extra an extra hour on top of that, mm-hmm. of, you know, fluff and fucking around, and you know Robert Pattinson mugging to the camera, you know, like which was really boring. And you know, like <laughs> at least this film had the courtesy of giving me getting in and getting out reasonably quickly. Yeah. Um, my last thing on it is just the fact that it they seem to have given up trying to just tell a complete concise story in a feature film. Now it's like, okay, you need to know all of this stuff that happened before to get what happens here. 
and we're not going to genuinely finish the story because you know the if you ignore the um, the post credits, the last thing you see is Doctor Strange on the floor going, ah! then the third eye appearing is like, okay, what? And then you know, two minutes later, you get the teaser, and he it seems to just be a thing that he's accepted now, and it's like, all right, well, when we're not going to. Um, hmm. Uh, what? <laughs> it, it, it's like, all right, well, I guess they'll answer that in another film with Doctor Strange then. You make a good point. It's a little bit like years ago when we talked about um, Age of Ultron. I think we talked it again recently. Mm. Half, I mean, half the problem with that film was, apart from the fact that, I mean, Joss Whedon was burnt out um, yeah. creatively um, and just a human piece of garbage, um, mm. was that he was being forced to keep his eye on that many moving targets floating around him of the next Thor film, this next film, this next film. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it was impossible for him to go and make the kind of tight, self-contained film that yeah. the original Avengers was for him. So I think this film, you're right, suffers from the same sort of thing. You're constantly looking to the next thing, to set up yeah. the next thing. I mean, that was the nice thing about Shang-Chi for me is even the post-credit bit where there, you know, there's Wong and he's looking at the Ten Rings and trying to work it out and just going, oh, it's sending out a signal and then you've got the other characters there. So like, okay, that's a good way of ending it because the, the movie actually finished concisely and then you had this little bit very much more akin to this the subtlety but massive potential of, you know, seeing the first Iron Man and then Tony Stark coming home and just, I am Iron Man and hearing Samuel L. Jackson's voice just there is like, oh shit, that's that's awesome. People who know, know. People who don't just go, oh cool, I want to see more. It's, it's it, that's, that's good storytelling. The way that they finish this is like, okay, I know what you're doing, but you're forgetting that you're actually just telling a story one story here finish it off round it off for me nicely and then have these other seeds you've done it before do it again yeah you you've now there i've got one other hot take before i'm Mm. done Mm. and i'm gonna get in trouble for this how dare you five minutes of lashona lynch as captain marvel she was more convincing more entertaining and more charismatic (laughs) than two hours of brie larson as captain marvel they cast on captain marvel Ooh. Yeah, I said it. Harsh words. And that's for me. If you think back a couple a week or two ago, I said I was not a massive fan of Lashana Lynch in um the James Bond film. So um she was better. I was more convinced by that five minute audition for Captain Marvel than everything Brie Larson did. That's fair. That's fair. And I like so Brie that Larson. said she got taken out way too easily. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of to, to a point, I appreciate the kind of the Terminator level of unstoppable force that they were putting on to Wanda at that point. It was kind of cool. But still, you didn't see, you didn't really see any of these, the Illuminati, who are these raised above characters in the multiverse. They got taken out pretty damn easy. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. They kinda, yes, they kind of had to be, so, you know, well. Yeah. Anyway. The reason I wanted to do that one first is because I thought mm. it might be a nice segue into the chain <gasps> movie this week. Oh, my goodness, Travis. Travis, are you a professional at this or something like that? Shit, we've been doing this What's a while. What's going on here? What is but going on? kind of the idea of um, Brie Larson comment. Yeah, see, I'm already getting in trouble. 
Um, some, <laughs> obviously, I'm in the minority on that one, and we're going to get to see more of Brie Larson later, I guess, this year when the Marvels are com- the Marvels coming out I, this year, I think. I think so. I don't really care. I don't think <laughs> Well, I'm people, sure the people at Disney do. Um, 2023, the Marvels. 28th of July, 2023. Um, you oh, didn't like the Warriors? That's, Goodness. That's an okay. interesting one. Um, good luck with that. It's like, you know, your opinion, man. Um, the Fantastic Four. I heard, we talked last week, mm. uh, that John Watts, the director of the Spider-Man films, was mm-hmm. down to direct the Marvel production, the new Marvel Fantastic yeah. Four film. It uh, He had quit, though, for whatever reason. <laughs> Amicably, maybe. It seems to be the word on the street, but we don't know who's going to direct Fantastic, that, that Fantastic Four film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do know now that we have a Reed Richards. And that is We do. We John do. The, the worst kept secret in Hollywood, John Krasinski. <laughs> Uh, no, Tony Stark is not in this fantastic either of the fantastic four, three fantastic four films that I am aware of. Um, I doubt he'll be in the next one either. Um, so but now it was a word in the street is that that John Krasinski's wife, Emily Blunt, wife, girlfriend, I don't know, um, uh, may be Sue Storm. We don't know, but that would be a nice combination that would work pretty well because I'm a big fan of Emily Blunt, she's a fantastic actor. Yeah. Um, so Fantastic Four, the first family of Marvel. This is the 2005 um, adaptation, not the 2015 Josh Trank adaptation, nor the 1990 uh, Roger Corman yeah. uh, <laughs> adaptation, which is... Let's not mention that one. There's a, a funny story behind that is they, they made an adaptation that was never actually supposed to be released mm-hmm. widely just so they could hang on to the rights because you had to make a film by a certain point in time. Yep. All the rights revert. And so they got him to do it in fast and cheap. And that was just to keep the rights. This is the 2005 starring um, Ian Griffud. <laughs> Ewan? Is he Ian? I don't Ewan know. Griffith. I don't know. Uh, Michael Chiklis, Chris Evans, and Jessica Alba, who is our connection to the, uh, the film from last week, Idle Hands. Yes. Um, a group of astronauts gain superpowers after a cosmic radiation exposure. And must use them to oppose the plans of our enemy, Victor, Dr. Victor Von Doom, played by Australia's own Julian McMahon. Um, son of a former prime minister, in fact. Um, and I think he was on Home and Away. Um, okay. That's what I know about Julian McMahon. Wasn't he in um, Six Feet Under or something? He was in Nip Tuck. I remember that was his, oh, big, it, his yeah. big thing. It was probably why he got this job, I think. Mm-hmm. Um so this is executive produced, as I mentioned last week, by um, what's his name, uh, Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige. Um, so could this have been the intended birth of the MCU? It came out the same year as Batman Begins, which is interesting. Because mm-hmm. um, if you line them up at that point in time, you would have gone, well, DC's a bit ahead. Um, how times have changed. This film has a 5.7 on IMDb and a, and a meta score of 40. Um, directed by Tim Story, who never did anything interesting, and written by Mark Frost, Michael France, and, of course, the incomparable Stan Lee gets a writing credit here. Interestingly, Mark Frost, the writer of this film, best known as one of the creators of Twin Peaks. (laughs) What an interesting, along, I guess, obviously, with David Lynch. He is credited as a creator. 
yeah. um, what an interesting film this would have been if it had been a little bit more Twin Peaks in it. There is no Twin Peaks in this. No, there is not. <laughs> this is a film. This is an interesting time capsule. Uh, Doctor Strange, you joined up with Johnny Depp, the Doctor Lone Stranger. Oh, yes. God. Ching. <laughs> um, he's got all the dad jokes Anthony uh, has tonight. <laughs> If you're what if you're listening to the audio version of what the fuck's going on, we uh we do stream this live. Yep, go to um, twitch.tv slash the fried brain and come and join us. And you can come in like Anthony and with your own dad jokes, um, <laughs> and make us groan for all the right reasons, I swear. <laughs> this, oh, is, um, this is this is a real interesting time capture for superhero films. So we have left behind Catwoman, Electra, Daredevil. And this is not that bad. No. But no. it's really not good. So, yeah. but it is three years before we get Iron Man, where fine, where at least from Marvel's perspective, they really unlocked the formula yeah. of how to do these right. This film leaps into the story with absolutely no setup about who anybody. No disrespect, Anthony. I'm loving it. Nice. Um, keep up the bad puns and dad jokes. We're all about that. She's. Um, we just leap into the story of like, well, we've got, you know, uh, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm trying to get funding from the Von Doom Corporation, which is, you'd think the Von Doom Corporation might look at getting in a corporate consultant or two or maybe rebranding, you know, like, I just don't know that you're going to want to buy your toothpaste from the Von Doom Corporation, you know? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, why not just rename that You just think. Yeah, you were destined to be bad, weren't you? I mean, like the, the Von Dorn Corporation, you know, what do they make? Cars or something? I don't know. They could just rebrand themselves something a little bit more appropriate, like, I don't know, Tesla. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know, people might buy your shit. Um, but so we have Reed and Ben trying to get funding from, from Von Doom. There's some sort of conversation. Oh, these guys aren't real scientists. And there's some sort of indication of a history between Von Doom and, and Reed Richards. And you kind of get the impression they went to school together at some point. Yeah. Uh, Von Doom is currently dating Sue Storm. Mm -hmm. And again, you kind of hinted at there's some sort of relationship between previous relationship between Reed and Sue. And look, it's mm -hmm. not complicated. You kind of put it together again, because we know who these characters are. That yeah. There was a romantic relationship between the two of them, but we just told all this. Yeah. It's all through very lousy, badly written exposition, and that yawn gives it everyone gives it away. It's just, it's like what's the old, what's the old, the old adage: show, don't tell. So yeah. they're telling me everything. You're not showing me anything. I've got no time to figure out who these people are. I've got no time to care about them. I just bang, bang, bang. Here we are. Stuff's happening. That's the point of this movie: is you do, they they don't want you to care about the people; they want you to care about the special effects and the powers. That's all it is. And you're one hundred percent right, and I think that is where we delineate, mm -hmm. start to delineate from the shitty Marvel films. Mm -hmm. look, at the, look at the Hulk tearing a tank up and throwing it across the screen. Isn't that cool? Yeah. To you know, let's figure out who Tony Stark is and why we should care about him. We're going to spend yeah. a fucking hour with him escaping from a terrorist camp. Before we get into he into his first Iron Man suit and start shit starts hit the fan and like oh, okay if we actually share about the character inside the suit who's blowing the shit up mm -hmm. you buy yourself you know a lot of audience of that way but mm -hmm. Fantastic Four you're all right does not do that we don't get to know any of these characters very much at all I would argue the only remotely uh, relatable character in the film is Michael Chiklis as Ben Grimm I thought he was fantastic in this. 
he did he did well all things considered and the fact that it was just a suit too it was that was a full prosthetic suit rather than the cgi that they use for hulk and what they used for um for ben grimm in the much lamented much lamented jamie bell who played him in 2015 yeah uh yeah jamie bell and Although I will approve approve of that in the in the Josh Trank version, they they put the dark twist on its clobbering time because that's what his brother and uh, stuff would say when he was gonna when he was beating Ben Grimm. It's like okay, that's that's bleak, that's dark. I kind of like that. There were some but, moderately good ideas in the Josh Trank film that just didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a mess, but. You know, Michael Chiklis, he is a solid actor overall. He can come across as charming. Um, he has got that kind of, even before he becomes the thing, he's got that kind of, you don't want to fuck with me kind of thing. But he's still charming and nice and kind of got the heart of gold kind of thing going on. So him having that transformation and the, the fact that we actually get to see the the most human character in the whole thing be living rock as his wife just abandons him and he has to work out how to deal with his life. Now it was actually rather good. Shout out to Laurie Holden as Debbie McIlvain, who yeah. just walks away from her beloved partner, boyfriend, fiance yep. type thing. Like, like that, the real villain here is not Victor Von Doom. It is Debbie. Like, she is stone cold. Yeah. Um, in this, Laurie Holden, by the way, if you recognize the, the name, well, you probably won't, but she was probably best known for her role in The Walking Dead, where she played Andrea for about 10 years. Okay. And she's in go. The Boys as well, uh, and The Americans. So she's done some good stuff. But, like, oh, but interesting, apparently, um, Stan Lee's, at least at the time, Said that um, Michael Chiklis's um, the thing was his favorite performance in mm. a Marvel film ever at that point. I don't know what time he said it, but um, he 1947. Did... <laughs> yes, there was a sort of a very short selection of Marvel films at that point. Um, but I was you're right. He that that scene humanizes him. Mm -hmm. You know, you actually stop and think, okay, you're a big badass rock monster thing, but your wife just left you, man. And mm -hmm. he has to live like that, like you. And that actually kind of does build into his. He has an arc mm -hmm. so, yeah, later on when um, Victor Von Doom promises he can actually make him normal again. Yeah, that 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 um, emotion that we've 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 we have for Ben, that kind of feeling we get from when his wife leaves him, you kind of go, okay, well, you know, maybe you would um, yep. agree to trust someone you shouldn't trust if they promise you the thing you want more than anything else in the world. Yeah. Shout out to um, Kerry Washington as well, being uh, Ben's secondary uh, later girlfriend. Uh, was, she uh, sort of like became very, very well known because of Django Unchained and a multitude of other performances that she's done. Um, but um, it was nice to actually have, yeah, for, for lack of a better descriptor, I guess, representation of um, a, a... Someone of color? Yeah, uh, someone of someone of color and someone blind. Even though wasn't she's not actually. Yeah, blind. I, I, I found it very convincing. I mean, then again, like people yeah. really like what's the guy? Is it Matt Matt Cox who plays Daredevil? I can't think of his name. Uh, um, oh, um, Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox. Yeah, I don't really buy him as blind either, but apparently a lot of people do. So, but um, 
yeah, I, I, it took me a few minutes to realize, oh, she's actually blind. <laughs> okay. Mm. Um, maybe we should even some contacts or something. I don't know. But um, you're right. It is, it is well, that's it, a little bit unusual. I can't think of too many other characters, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, of, you know, that kind of you know, either have a disability of some kind in the MCU at all. And it was it what I what I kind of really get from it is the fact that it's someone with a genuine difficulty in modern society, um, being the one who coaches Ben. And like she doesn't talk about being blind or anything like that. She just is in the bar. She she just interacts with him. And the one thing that kind of gives her away where they show rather than tell you that she's blind is where she asked to touch his face and it was actually kind of nice to to actually have that level of intelligence story writing just in a moment i was like okay there are a couple of little moments here but they are unfortunately few and far between um we are picking scraps mm-hmm. uh, anthony says that the, he is told and believe that hollywood have to turn down the dark side of superheroes to make them child-friendly for merchandising and they're losing good storylines like the Dark Knight by putting the evil characters and making them more friendly than dark because they're afraid it will affect merchandising. It's sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching Spider-Man of the Green Goblin was very childlike and disappointing. I don't think there's any mystery or any con- anybody mm-hmm. would disagree with you. I think they absolutely do tone down their stories. I think they're actually, yeah. if you're a director who's hired to do this, you are hired and paid uh, and your payment is sometimes or, or bonus is actually... Uh, reliant on delivering a film that gets a rating of PG-13 or whatever. Mm, and if yeah. you don't do that, that you will have a film taken off you and they re-edit it until you it does get the rating that they want. Yeah. It's a massively yeah. big deal, especially in the United States where they're very yeah. fussy about these sorts of things that you get the right rating. Um, I, it's not even just merchandising, merchandising part of it, but also the people won't see your film because the amount of people, most of the people who want to see a Spider-Man film are probably, a good chunk of them are probably under... I don't even know how old you have to be to see a PG-13 film. Um, uh, 13. I guess but the next one up would be 18, I guess. Um, so if you're not old enough, but you get an R rating, and you're going to cut out a giant chunk of your audience you just can't see your film. Mm. So you And that will affect grossness. And that's mm. why it was such a controversial choice that Deadpool got itself an R rating. Mm. Because they're like, well, no one will be able to see it. This is a comic book film. Only kids want to see comic book films. And then someone said, actually, you know what? They're adults and they like movies if it's yeah. funny and it's good. And, and kids grow up to become adults and kids have read comic books. And now the comic books that were popular in the 80s, those people are now old enough to have kids to take. Oh, now I see a new um, revenue. There you go. It's a crazy <laughs> idea, but it kind of worked. Um, this film, I. It's very much not the R-rated kind of film, and I don't think a Fantastic Four film ever really demanded being R-rated. What did you think of Chris Evans? Really hard to watch Chris Evans as as Johnny Storm with Human Torch here because it's kind of such a long way from his role as Captain America, and I don't think he's well suited for it. He he's charming. I think Chris Evans is just genetically charming. Um, but yeah, it doesn't feel like the right fit. There was, like, there were a couple of movies that he did where he was, for lack of a better term, cast in roles that should have gone to Ryan Reynolds. Mm. Uh, 
another prime example of this was the other comic book adaptation he did. Um, fuck, what was it called? Um, it had uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan in it and Zoe Saldana. Um, and he's like, he's cast as this kind of wisecracking, super attractive, hunky guy that's just fun to be with in the life of the party. And it's like, okay. Um, um, not Scott Pilgrim, me? obviously. The Losers? The Losers, that, thank you. Yes. Oh, that movie sucked. Mm. He, was, he was good as, um, uh, one of the boyfriends in Scott Pilgrim. He was he was really good. Oh, he was good. We get the dust lady. She dusts. No, no, that was uh, Brandon Routh, wasn't it? Um, that was Brandon Brand Routh. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, he was the uh, skateboarding guy. He was. Mm. Uh, he, he was. was cool. He was. Everybody was good in that, even Brie Larson. So there you yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's weird, kind of going back and seeing him in a different superhero role, and it just not working because you kind of look at it. It's so like, okay, the producer of this movie went. Yeah, he's my Captain America. Like, safe, okay. safe journey, Anthony. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, my friend. See you next time. Um, so yeah, I he was fine, but it didn't fit the rest of the movie, which is weird considering how hodgepodge this movie is. It just doesn't quite now. I, I tried I was struggling in my head going, is it just because I know him as Steve mm. Rogers now and he's so perfect? As this, you know, the, the, you know, a little bit prissy, you know, Steve Rogers character, and you know, not you know, sort of loyal and honourable and moral, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to this kind of, you know, uh, as you sort of said, almost Ryan Reynolds esque character. Mm-hmm. Um, makes you wonder if they ever looked at him for something like the Green Lantern. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't quite land it whether it's just I'm so used to him as Steve Rogers, or whether mm-hmm. he genuinely isn't fit this role, because he was kind of a cunt in uh, Knives Out. Yeah, but he was a convincing cunt. Now that was a better film than this. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I'm landing on, I just don't think Chris Evans quite fit the cocky, self-assured, annoying, you know, mm. over the top. Uh, what had he done before this? Well, he definitely done not another teen movie because I remember that one in the whipped cream <laughs> bikini. Yeah, that's right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go out and see not another team movie because actually it's quite good. It's it's not it's not terrible. Um, not yeah, much. So before this, yeah, fierce people, perfect score, paperboy, not another team movie, some TV stuff. Um, so yeah, this was his real jump into the the big screen, frankly. Um, so it kind of makes sense because he's um, an attractive, generally muscle muscly hot white guy i was like yeah we need we need johnny storm to be an attractive young hot white guy so boom ready made i guess yeah Um, overall i mean it's jessica alba what about jessica alba here she was really i remember being one of the main pushes of a marketing of his film was yeah she doesn't have a lot to do no, and between her and Johnny, the way that they're represented in this, it's it feels very dated socially, doesn't it? Like the fact that so like the jokes are that she has to strip naked and there's she gets caught when when her power fails and things like that. It's like okay, mild PG titillation at the expense of you know bad 
bad stuff. Yeah, no, you're right. His, his attitude to, to women, like prime example of his attitude to women is in the credits, the nurse is just referred to as sexy nurse. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Kind of reminds me if you ever watch like an old um, WWE pay-per-view from about 20 years ago and they have like a bra and panties match or something like this and you're like, it's that kind of feel. Oh God, we thought this was entertaining. Yeah. This was okay. This was okay 20 years ago. And like now you're like, no. Well, look, fucking Charlotte Flair and and, um, Wanda Rousey headline. Yeah. Headline WWE, uh, the WrestleMania show, right? Mm -hmm. Twice. And... Like twenty years ago, you had you had people who were barely trained who were just ripping each other's clothes off, and that was and they had Jerry Laura going ah puppies, you know, and and that was that that was entertainment, and like you know you, you just like and you sort of go oh god that was that that long ago I mm-hmm. we have a lot to answer for as men yeah yeah we really do so the, whilst I I didn't believe her as a really smart intelligent scientist either because she's not given really any lines in the movie to represent that or any opportunity to basically show up the the smartest man in the world of reed richards and victor von doom the main bad guy she's just there it's like okay why are you here again Oh, because you in a comic book. Yeah. 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 And that's it. And it was like, all right, sure. She's basically unfortunately for Jessica Roberts, she's just as you sort of said, just titillation there. So mm. it um it's dated in a lot of ways. Uh, mm. I assume it's made enough money, but I mean I did make enough money that they made a sequel. So yeah, um, it was obviously reasonably successful. Um, so it was, it took a gross worldwide of 333 million on a hundred million dollar budget, which isn't bad. Hmm. Um, I believe Batman Begins made about 350 that year. So you're comparable to, to, to Batman Begins. So whereas, you know, Batman Begins now is kind of, you know, a beloved start to a classic mm-hmm. trilogy, whereas this is a, a lost and forgotten relic of a different age. Yeah. But, um, it was, it was kind of, I don't entirely know what to expect from whatever they do with the next Fantastic Four reinterpretation because they tried the gritty thing in a movie that was just so heavily fucked up anyway, it was never going to succeed. But people didn't like that and it was quite a departure for many big fans of the Fantastic Four from the source material. This had the comic book color palette of the comic books um but the story was flaccid and empty and pointless um and then i mean i think the the fact that they had i I think there's potential in what they were trying last time was of its time yeah dark superhero film was yeah in vogue uh josh trank was absolutely the wrong person to give a job to i think we all know that now yeah um you hear the stories that came out of what he was trying to do there. And he had a Star Wars film. He had been given a Star Wars film before yeah. that. Um, uh, I just have, I mean, I think you had a good point last week that you thought it should be an adventure film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, look at Marvel, we trust. You know, they, they don't, like, I mean, while we were a bit middling on Doctor Strange, 
you know, that's just compared to what they've been doing to date. They haven't put, they haven't really put out anything in truly abysmal. Even Black Widow wasn't awful. It had its moments, but yeah. you know, they didn't. They just uh, it was weak. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Who knows what they're going to do? I would think it, it's something, an adventure film in space, something lost in spacey would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I would kind of like it if they did go, kind of go the lost in space route and they were kind of the crux for getting, bringing together all of these celestial and godlike entities together. They just kind of fish out of water. It's like, oh, fuck, we are so lost in a, in a somewhere in, in space in some universe and we are literally surrounded by nothing but gods. What the fuck? That would be kind of cool because it puts them in a bizarre in space adventure lost in space revenant kind of thing where it's just all about their survival which would be kind of kind of cool <laughs> they don't have to that's the other thing that I, I i want them to not have dr doom in this um i think they should choice have... wouldn't it because i assume they have other villains in their, in their rogues gallery to pick from well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're primarily New York-based, so they share a lot of villains with all of the other New York-based superheroes. Um, but Doctor Doom is their quintessential. But Doctor Doom is arguably big enough and potent enough that he could be the next Thanos-level or Loki-level bad guy. Um, but, I don't know, there's still persistent rumour that it's going to be... The going to be Kang sort of appeared in Loki or Galactus, which would kind of make sense considering some of the stuff that they talk about in the Eternals. Um, but they don't need, they don't need to bring Victor Von Doom straight away into the Fantastic Four. Anyone who knows Fantastic Four knows that he will turn up at some point and you can put him somewhere else. So, yeah. I just did a quick Google. Mm. Marvel Fantastic Four main comic book villains. Doctor mm-hmm. Doom, Namor. Yep. That's not happening because Sony are making a Namor film, I think. True. Uh, Kang the Conqueror. We already know him. Annihilus, mm-hmm. Galactus, mm-hmm. Super Scroll. Okay, so he's a scroll. And there is a Secret Wars movie TV show thing coming out. Yeah. Diablo yeah. Mad Thinker. So um, I don't hey. know. I'm not familiar with all of those, but. Yeah. Um, uh, Mole Man, the Puppet Master's in here. I'm um, sorry, when you say Mole Man, I just think of um, the Mole Man. Um, nobody's gay for Mole Man. Psycho <laughs> Man. The Underminer. Uh, the Incredibles. Um, <laughs> the Underminer. Nothing. Anyway, you have the keys, sir. I've taken us on a wild spin through the early 2000s of superhero films. Where are we going yes. next? So you gave me a lot of possibilities. You really, really did. And I, I'm still, even right now, I'm still not entirely sure where I want to go. Um, because I did think about following Tim's story and just seeing kind of what else he's done. Not much. But I don't want to watch Queen Latifah in Taxi. Oh, God, <laughs> please. Um, and I had to watch, because I got bored, um, the, there was, because um, he did Shaft, and there was a sequel to Shaft that came to Netflix. Um, so if you, you know, need some time. 
I think I need a little bit of time. I'll get it by the end of the movie. Uh, end this of the is show. some thinking music here for you. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Because I can't use Jessica out. You know what? Okay, here we go. Done. Let's continue. Then follow Kerry Washington to the 2004 movie Ray. Oh, okay. I've never seen this one. This is the one that Jamie Foxx won the Academy Award for, right? Yeah. So, so this is a good opportunity and a good excuse to go and see this movie. Very good. We will be seeing uh, Ray, the Academy Award-winning film about Ray Charles. Yeah. Now, um, before going on to anything else, do we have sponsors for we this week? We have a sponsor this week. Let me just check, sure, make sure that they're uh, make the show a live cross is ready, ready because I believe we are going to be crossing live. Yes, that's, that's correct. We're going to be crossing live now to our sponsor this week in Brazil, the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the ultimate uh, in Brazilian party bands uh, are going to be our sponsor this week. All right. <laughs> we will sponsor anyone. Anyone will sponsor no, us. Hashtag too. no discount. find us the best sponsors well um all i can say is the uh, dc marvel crossover film is looking weird <laughs> i believe it's directed by the same guy that did cats uh, team story might be involved i'm not sure um <laughs> <laughs> that is a brazilian party band the superheroes 
Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's I've put that into the universe tonight, so I feel pretty <laughs> good about that. Um, we've done a superhero-heavy first hour. What else has been come across your desk this week? Well, I said I'd watch it last week, and I did. A living superhero. Our world is home to a legitimate, legendary being. And that is one Nicolas Cage. Ah, yeah. Um, the unbearable weight of immeasurable talent. Holy shit, I love this movie. It's so good. It's so, so good. Let me pull up the um, uh, the appropriate information for you. I've seen the trailers and I thought this looked really good. It's the trailer captures it perfectly. Um, it's uh, in this action-packed comedy, Nicolas Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a superfan, played by Pedro Pascal, and a CIA agent, Tiffany Haddash. And that is just the start of it. And it seems it seems like we're slowly getting a new subgenre of movie coming through. Um I'm thinking back to it started really well. The one that really kind of captured me was um, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme when he uh, did like a parodied version of himself in JCVD, which was surprisingly good. And now this has brought in the everything that everyone has ever heard about Nicolas Cage and how he lives his life and how he chooses his parts. And everyone has always said, oh my God, Nicolas Cage would just say yes to any script and things like that. And this comes in with such an interesting kind of concept of an actor who is... As the title of the movie says, the unbearable weight of immeasurable talent, he's his own worst enemy. And there's some really good scenes, really bizarre scenes, where he's talking with a Wild at Heart's age version of himself. And it's he's still that kind of wild and crazy. So like, you're Nicholas fucking Cage! And he's just doing this to himself while sitting in a in the hotel bar drinking and things like that it's really weird but really good because it's a very good representation of his himself putting this bizarre pressure on himself and weighing it against the cost uh, in his personal life with his wife and daughter um you have neil patrick harris in this movie as well i mean there's another one right the neil patrick harris performance in um the uh harold kumar films exactly yeah exactly um, he plays uh, Nick Cage's agent, and we see we inter- we are introduced to Nicolas Cage as he's uh, going for this role, and he is very keen, very keen. He's, he keeps saying, "Oh, it's the it's the role of a lifetime," and he's really excited about it. So, and he's talking to the director, and he basically oversells himself to the point of selling himself out of the role. And the only thing that kind of comes across is this invitation for a million dollars to go to this guy's birthday party in Mallorca. And uh, that's where we are introduced to Pedro Pascal. And um, his name is Javi Gutierrez. And then very quickly, we see this story start to shift and change. And there's these two, um, two 
the US agents staking out their airplane, the private jet that Nicolas Cage has been flown out in. And they're kind of surprised. They're sort of like, oh, well, that's not who is is that Nick Nicholas Cage, the actor? What the fuck is he doing here? And he slowly but surely gets embroiled into this thing. And they believe that Harvey is the head of a criminal family. And they're trying to get information. And there's recently a kidnapping of a president's daughter. And that the basically the the cartel is trying to pressure the president to surrender the the upcoming election for the for the opponent who is more cartel friendly and i don't want to say too much about the story because it just goes in this really weird and wonderful route but it just is for most of the movie it's this beautiful meeting of two souls of nick cage and harvey who and Harvey is just this super fan. He's got this hidden room with all the memorabilia of all the stuff. It's got the the pearls from uh, the rock. It's got a really disgusting um, life size version of Nicolas Cage from Face Off with the, with the real guns and all sorts of shit. And he's just a big fan. And he and they just kind of bond in this position of. Un, you know unbearable weight of responsibility in their lives and it's two phenomenally talented actors just talking and just being themselves and being hyper versions of themselves in many ways but at the same time underplaying everything and it really being emotional and beautiful and the desperation that Pedro Pascal puts into Harvey is so endearing. Pedro Pascal is, is a modern treasure and the way that he plays Harvey and the way that he talks about his, his love of Nicolas Cage movies and things like that is just delightful. It's really, really delightful and you can't help but fall in love with the guy. And Nicolas Cage is just so raw and open you can't help but just look at his performance and just go, I feel really sorry for all the shit that I've ever said about Nick Cage because, God damn it, yeah, whenever he's in a movie, he fucking puts the effort in. He does weird fucking movies. He makes extremely weird choices for the characters. And most of the time, especially modern times, they've been general trash, like, ah, the bees and things like that. <laughs> Why is it burned? They even make a joke about the bees. Like he's um, right at the end, he's got this big um, belt buckle just there, and it's this huge gold tarantula. And he just makes this comment. It's like my my stylist said I needed something, and um, they said that an eagle was too big, and they said, "Oh, you could get bees," and I just said, "No, not the bees." <laughs> so it's like nice little nod there. Um. But then the story just continues to grow and evolve as their friendship, as they bond. And it's just brilliant. It's a, it's really well shot. It's awesomely paced. The script is quick. It's, it just feels good. I was in a cinema with only about five or six other people, but we were all laughing aloud. <laughs> like there's, there's a moment where... Um, as part of the deal for the million dollars, Harvey had sent over a script that he wrote, but Nicolas Cage was never given it. 
and they're sitting down by the the pool and they're drunk and Harvey just kind of eventually goes, did you ever read my script? And he's like, what script? And he's like, I'm going to send it to you now. And then a little bit later on, um, Nicholas Cage has to come up with an excuse to stay at this compound for longer. And he says, yeah. So he invited me here, gracious host. And he sent me a script and I read it. And Harvey says, oh, so will you do it? And he says, no, but we're going to write something together and it's going to be heartfelt. And then you see them like trying to write a script together and they, they hit this uh, brick wall. And so Harvey just comes along and just goes, all right, here, have some of this. And just puts a little pipette onto the tongue. And it's just, they go on an LSD trip. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. it's so fucking good. It is such a good sequence. It's absolutely I've seen The writers have um, worked on things like Workaholics and Desperate Housewives, which is, and scrubs so they have some pretty solid comedic yeah uh, chops in there um but it's it's the the counterpoint of the comedy with the genuine drama and you can't help but when you see Nicolas Cage in these moments where he's just talking to himself or just just feeling the the shit that his character his persona is going through at that moment you gotta go how much of this is actually really nick cage because that's and it's just that that moment of questioning the performance that you suddenly go fuck okay he's got me and my god do i miss nick cage (laughs) i wonder if this would be lead to him getting a few more quality roles well yeah hopefully and that's part of part of the story the internal monologue that he has with his wild at heart self and it's it's just really intelligently done. This is one of my favorite movies. I haven't seen, I haven't laughed and been so engaged with a movie since Knives Out. This wow, is that's a, high paid. This is a strong, strong performance on all counts. The direction, the writing, the performances, everyone is just on point. It's great. Really, really good. Um, there you go. I am keen to see it at some point. Yeah, so I just, I, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to spoil it the way that this, the story evolves. But this is just one that everyone has to go out and experience or hope it's coming to the end of its cinema run, it seems. When it comes out on streaming services, check it out because it's, it's really it's good. Shame. I would like to see it at the cinema. I might see if I can squeeze it in on Monday or Tuesday next mm-hmm. week if I have time, which I don't think I do because reasons. Um I'm glad to hear it's good because the trailer looked good. Yeah, uh, it looked like fun, and it looked like a really original, fun idea. And you just don't come across too many of those anymore. The word original is kind of a dirty word in Hollywood these days, and same in the world of television as well, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, sadly, sadly true. But this is this is original, and it gives. I would like to see more of this kind of film where it is the hyper-realization or the parody of an actor um, or a or a person in the public eye because it does just give that little twist. When the performance is good, you just suddenly go, oh, fuck, how close to, how close to the real you are you getting with this? And that was one of the, the really impressive parts of um, 
JCVD. It's like the moments like there's a bit where he's in the car and he's just, it's a quiet moment. It's just kind of feeling everything that's happening around him and that's happened and that he has to do. And it's just like, oh shit, Jean-Claude is doing this performance. This is, this, what? It, was, it just makes you question it. And then you realize that you're watching something special. So I really, really approve of it. I can't wait to get it. I hope it's a fingers crossed that I can mm. squeeze in um, at cinema on a, mm. before it leaves. But I mean, I'm sure we'll see it on streaming somewhere eventually. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I just talk quickly about one other movie? Sure. Okay. So this is the 2022 new movie by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. It is on Netflix. And Jean-Pierre Jeunet is the name that you will go, oh, yeah. When I say he made that horrible alien film, he did, <laughs> and also the wonderfully delightful Amelie. And this is a weird fucking movie, man. So this is a group of bickering suburbanites find themselves stuck together when an android uprising causes their well-intentioned household robots to lock them in for their own safety. And it's. It's so French. It's so French. My God, is it French? Um, it has got um, some of the classic um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet crew in it. Um, Isabelle Nanti. Um, she was one of the people that worked at the um, uh, at the Windmills Cafe with Amelie. It has also got uh, what's his what's his face. Um, Oh God, I can't remember. Um, can't remember now. But um, one of the 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 guy that is like in in Amelie and in Alien Resurrection, he's the guy in the wheelchair. Is it Stefan de Groot? No, it's not Stefan de. Not I, Stefan. I don't de know. Yeah, I've been trying to black Alien Resurrection out of my brain for the last twenty five yeah. years. But is is he's un uncredited? It seems in this one, but it's just a, a little cameo. But it's really, really weird. It's hyper-stylized, as is most Jean-Pierre Jeunet stuff. The color palette is just really poppy and super... Um, it, it's set in a, in a, in a future, like um, 2051 or something like that, based off of... There's a reference to COVID-50. Um, and it's just bizarre. There's like this um, reality TV show that they watch um, uh, homo ridiculous or something like that, where it's um, the androids that essentially run all of human life have the, these people come in and essentially go on this ridiculously disgusting show where they ha are treated like trash to pay off some of their debts and things like that. It's just weird. It's, Is it it's good? Kind of, um. Yes. No. Um. I. I don't know. If you say no, it's got a five point four nine db yeah. and it, a Metascore of forty. Yeah, it's. It has none of the endearing charm of Emily. It had the the latter part of it does get kind of interesting 
Um, the first, the first kind of half of the movie it definitely feels more like your classic French comedies that don't really go anywhere outside of France because they are very, very French. Um, and it's all about that situational, uh, satirical local society comedy of everyone seems to know everyone's business in their little neighborhood and they're all talking trash about each other. And then they go in, they talk to the person they were just talking trash to, and then they talk trash about the other people. And it's funny because it, in a way it kind of is reminiscent to, I'm talking really old school comedy in ancient Greek comedy where it's, everyone's just talking bitchy in a circle and then by the end of it everyone hates each other and then by the absolute climax of it everyone has just expended all of their hatred and general disdain for all the people that they have grown to hate in this 90 minute farce to the point where they're actually friends again and nothing has genuinely been resolved so it's interesting in that regard but it's not really funny and then the second half of it it gets darker and some of the dark stuff actually gets kind of good. But it also has this persistent level of absurdity to it that just makes it very, very difficult to actually just engage with and enjoy. The special effects are purposefully bad, not in a kind of, oh, it, it's trashy, but they, they, everything just looks tacky. And that's by design. So it fits the aesthetic of the, sh of the movie, but it's, it's a real challenging one that I, it was, I don't know how this got made. And I, I, it would never have gone to cinema. I, I just cannot see a world where it would have gone to cinema except in France. And because of COVID and shutting down so much of cinema in Europe, it's like, okay, well, let's just put it on netflix then otherwise it oof, it would not it's been a long time since jean-pierre has done something really good it's been a long time since he's done anything yeah i think 2013 might have been his last feature was that a very long engagement the young and prodigious t.s spivet okay don't even know I what that not one heard of it apparently helena bottom carter and judy davis in it uh, you know, the fantabulous contraptions of Professor Horatio Huffnagel was obviously the second choice he had. They're like, talk about long and boring titles. A long yeah. engagement is 2004, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. That was that was a hard movie to watch because it was really long and very boring. It sounds like this might be <laughs> not too dissimilar from that, though. Perhaps yeah. about the long part, I assume, maybe. Sadly, yeah. I mean, it's it's not a long movie, but it feels long because it's supposed to feel long. I feel like everything about this that is challenging and not necessarily enjoyable immediately is by design. And that's not helpful for wider audience. Like One Amelie... question is it feel longer than this podcast or not? So you need to judge. You have to watch Go ahead and watch the movie, people, and you tell us which one feels longer. It's on Netflix. Check it out. It's maybe worth your time, but if you don't like it within the first 15 minutes, bounce. bounce it, sounds like it, it sounds like it's hardcore Jean-Pierre Jean Jeunet. So if you really yeah. like his shit, 
then maybe maybe this is for you. Is that maybe what you we think? Very true. Very true. And I'm generally a bit of a fan. I do like a lot of the stuff that he's done, but boy, and I I like a lot of French comedy, but oh, wow, this is this this was a lot to take in. This I like Ali. That was the last one I liked of his. <laughs> and the last, it should be noted. <laughs> but but yeah, the other thing about it is that um, I guess the French film industry supports itself, right? Like oh, yeah. they actually have decent government investment. People, mm. I assume, companies also, you know, people and individuals invest in French cinema. French mm. cinema makes money because French people see French movies. Yeah, um, exactly. not so much here, right? Like where nobody invests in Australians. We haven't. Government doesn't invest in it. Your, you know, local government does, but it, you know, Australians don't go see Australian films. Yeah. Unless it's a big budget one that is shipped as American. Like, you know, Baz Luhrmann or, you know, the occasional, you know, something breaks through Red Dog, The Castle, Kenny, mm. you know, but they're rare. Mm. I have something to talk about with a little bit left center now, if that's okay. Um, I, there has been criticism leveled at this show <laughs> in certain quarters. I just think I've been a lot of criticism leveled at the show. Most of it comes from us. Um, <laughs> but an, a good what? In, 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 in a rare... Certain, certain shells? In a, in a rare example of external criticism leveled at us that we watch mainly blokey films. Um, but I, I would argue that the film you were just talking about isn't necessarily a blokey film, though. but anyway... It's not, yeah, um, it's not necessarily a blokey movie. I, I um, was with a uh, friend of the show, Michelle, on the weekend, my partner, and we got home quite late from uh, a Mother's Day dinner, and uh, we ended up watching uh, half of a rom-com, which I'm going to talk about in a sec. We are most of it, a, a decent chunk of a rom-com. Enough that I can give an opinion on it, uh, which is not exactly what we normally do, but, you know, lest I should watch the whole fucking thing. Um <laughs> That was, and you know what? We're kind of in the mood for it at that point. So we went through and we just kept on rolling with one of her favorite rom coms and someone something that Michelle highly recommended to me and okay. felt would, you know, kind of and does actually kind of mix the show up for blokiness a little bit. And that mm -hmm. film is it's actually a TV movie, believe it or not, and it's available on, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um that film is in 2009, My Fake Fiance. Okay. And Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart and Joey Lawrence. I was talking to someone today about this, and they remembered who Melissa Joan Hart was, but yeah. nobody remembers who Joey Lawrence was or why he was famous. Do we remember Blossom? No. Maybe that didn't air of him, but he was the heartthrob breakout star, apart from Mayim Bialik, Bialik of Blossom. And um, yes, yeah. his career has gone nowhere. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's worth pointing out that both Melissa Joan Hart and Joey Lawrence are horrible people, I think. You know, hardcore Christian conservative American type. So, you know, definitely the kind of people you want to invite to your birthday party. Oh, yeah. Not. But what is this film about? Cash strapped virtual strangers, Jennifer and Vince, decide to stage a fake engagement wedding just for the presents. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of as complex as it gets. They get plonked together at a wedding. They both go to by the bride, I think, who is trying to be a bit of a matchmaker and kind of thinks that they're going to get along. I don't know. Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever get plonked next to someone at a wedding or a party or something? Because they go, I don't know, like, hi, George, this is so-and-so. You know, you've got a lot in common. Yes, actually. 
but um good friend of the show one of my uh, one of my favorite people louise she invited me to her wedding and she sat me because i basically didn't know anyone else there she sat me next to her friend her good friends and she didn't tell me that it was kind of a setup situation but it was great he um they we we ended up just talking nerdy geeky stuff and it was great fun <laughs> So it actually no, so it worked out okay then. Um, yeah. This doesn't work out okay. These people that like Melissa Joan Hart, Jennifer, and Joey Lawrence's Vince are like oil and water. They just completely repel each other instantly. Can't stand each other. Okay. However, they just sort of keep bumping into each other over the next few weeks. It would be fine that Joey Lawrence has a gambling problem and owes um, a significant amount of money to a character called The Monkey. Okay. Played by the incomparable Steve Sharipa. I'm freaking pronouncing it right. You, you you won't know the name, but you definitely know the face because um, he famously was on The Sopranos as Bobby yeah. Bacala yeah. um, and probably in a bunch of other stuff as gangsters. But you'll go, bang, definitely Sopranos, that guy, which is kind of interesting to see him slumming it in this. Um, and at the same time, so he's very short of cash. Melissa Joan Hart is moving house. And uh, her friend leaves the key, um, the keys in the truck, and her entire, basically all of her stuff in the moving truck is stolen. So she has a new okay, house. I'm sorry, we we um uh, we have call out. Um, th- this is misrep uh, misrepresentation of my words. It was a hidden slash guilty pleasure, not a highbrow recommendation. Good day, sir. I said good day. By no means was I meaning to indicate that it was definitely a two a.m. in the in the uh, morning uh, type film, and I thought it was an appropriate time for this film, as it's not a particularly deep journey into any kind of you know philosophical realm about the kind of relations between men and women. So we have Joey Lawrence, who's in debt to the monkey by a significant amount. We have Melissa Jane Hart, who has a new house with nothing in it because all her stuff has been stolen, and apparently insurance didn't cover any of it. So they come up with this cunning plan of getting pretending to get married in order to the description says to get presents which uh and money uh which he can use to pay off uh his um gambling debts and she can keep the presents to replace the stuff that uh has been stolen exactly how they divide up isn't covered in great detail it's certainly not a film that encourages a great deal of thinking or logic um, as you can imagine, it's a fairly standard farce from there. She hates him. He hates her. There's no attraction between the two of them, at least initially. Mm. And, you know, mm. they have to go through the, um, the emotions of pretending to be a couple who are in love and plan to get married and meeting the parents and, okay. uh, you know, keeping their stories straight whilst trying to keep the monkey uh, at bay. Who's trying the monkey to... off their back. Ah, uh-huh, and that joke is made more than once. Um, He's a kind of a weird character who actually gives him extra time to pay because he's getting married and then expects an invite and has his um, his um, lackeys, I think, uh, Ricky Muse's truck and Najima Williams's pants who get around town on um, segways and come back to report to Monkey, who's based at the zoo, I kid you not, um, and tell him about, like, what flowers have chosen for the wedding and the colors of tablecloths and stuff like that, I think. Um, and you know what? Here's the really, really weird thing. It kind of works. It kind of works. 
Um, okay. um, you know what? I'm just going to just turn off Travis for a moment because that's just terrible, absolutely disgusting. What, is, what, what, what kind of show are you guys? You know, what, what, what service are we putting on? Okay, he's he's out out of you know he's back now. Heckin' rude, <laughs> heckin' bloody rude, right there. Um, this is a weird film where it the the key to making this film it, it is by no means you know a, a masterpiece, a classic, or anything, or anything I necessarily say is very good. It's just a lot better than it should be. Like, it's really cheaply made. Like, super cheap. Like, it's a TV movie, and you can tell. Mm-hmm. It's really lightly written. The guy who wrote it is a guy named Howard Marsh, who is not much. He works on a lot of reality TV stuff. I think the only thing he's really ever written. Like, he does okay. Bachelor and Bachelor, Paradise, Bachelorette, um, The Bachelor, that kind of thing, which undoubtedly takes some writing skill because it's not real. Um, the director is a guy named Gil Junger or Gil Junger, however you pronounce that. Um, he has he directed 10 Things I Hate About You, which was you know all right. Um, Black, Black, Knight. Ghost. Black Knight, which was not good. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> not a lot of talent behind the camera there. Um, so, and there's not a lot of money being spent on the production. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing it kind of works for one reason and one reason only. Okay. Melissa Jerry Hart and Joey Lawrence have some of the most spectacular chemistry between two very moderately talented co-stars that I have ever seen. Like by no stretch of imagination right. of these people great actors. They're actually, yeah, we all know Melissa Jerry Hart, right? You know, Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in that awful God's Not Dead movie. I don't think I've seen anything Joey Lawrence has done since Blossom. These guys are not, they're not exactly Gary Oldman, you know, and Kate Blanchett or something. But they work on screen incredibly well. This is amazing sparks fly between the two of them. Not even like a sexual chemistry. Just there, the way they bounce off each other is actually a lot of fun for some reason. I can't put my finger on it. It shouldn't work, but it kind of <laughs> does. To the point where like these really lame telegraph jokes kind of make me snicker a little bit because they just they deliver them so well and they seem so comfortable on the screen together and they work so well as a couple. It kind of worked. Um, I'm not going to say I recommend it, but it is a, as, as Shell says, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for some people. Um, Michelle being one of them, and, you know, they went on to have a sitcom after this, I believe. Uh, it was called Melissa and Joey, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think it went on TV for quite a number of, um, quite a number of seasons. So... Uh, that should give you an idea about like you know they got a TV series off the back of this no name yeah, five years this no name uh, TV movie so um, look it's hard to say but if you, if if you're in the mood for something super light um, with your you know you can sit down as a couple to watch it with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you know uh, something like that or a, just a friend or your dog or a cat or by yourself and a bottle of wine. Um, mm. reflecting on why everybody in the world hates you. Look, um, all of these are fair options to say this isn't the worst thing I've ever seen. Or if it's just turned on the TV late one night and it's there, um, you know, check it out. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you have an idea of what's happening to my co-host, please say in the in the chat <laughs> right now because things are going strange. Uh, oh, okay. Michelle, 
you are a bad influence on this man you, and you, this podcast. You want to be very careful what you say to her because, like, you know, we all know what she's capable of. We've had. Yes, I, I am painfully aware of it. Some of the shit that she's thrown at me. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, it hurt us more than it hurt you. Um... <laughs> no, it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll just say, look, look, it, it, the copy on YouTube's pretty shitty. The end, actually, literally, the sound cuts out or it freezes like five minutes before the end. Um, I mean, there's absolutely no shocks. It, every twist and turn, you know, it's coming 10 minutes before, half an hour before it comes. But that chemistry, you just, you know, like you just can't put that kind of, you can't make that up. It's either there or it's not. Those two seem to really enjoy working together. They bounce off each other brilliantly. It's kind of a shame that. All they ever did was a TV sitcom because with a better writer and a better director, that could definitely have been something between the two of them. Do you think it's potential for a remake? I think it's been done before. I don't think even the story is particularly original, right? The people who are faking a wedding for money, it's been done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I'd maybe the, it's 13 years old, so maybe the moment's passed. I don't know. Um, but it's an interesting little thing when you see something like that where you see none of this should work, but the one they bring one thing that you can't make up, you can't get around that chemistry that they work together so well Fair that it all of a sudden it actually is kind of you know amusing in parts, which it really has no business being. It's a little bit like if I go back to um, fighting with my family, the the Florence oh, Pugh yeah. wrestling film. You're like, this film has no business being this good, yeah. being this much fun, being this charming. It's Stephen Merchant writing and directing it and Florence Pugh being so likable as an actor, it kind of elevates what is a pretty lousy film. Yeah. I'll, I'll move on quickly and just quickly touch on He's Just Not That Into You, which came out the same year, actually, 2009, mm-hmm. uh, an all-star rom-com um, starring Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Scarlett Johansson's in here. Uh, Jennifer Goodwin, I believe, is the actual star of it, top build star. Mm-hmm. There's a name you just don't see too often anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting a few people in here. Bradley Cooper's in every young Bradley Cooper, Justin Long, Ben Affleck, uh, Drew Barrymore. Um, this is the other end of the rom com spectrum. This is your triple A rom com, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to your indie dev rom com of fake fiance. Mm hmm. This film is not too bad, right? Like, again, it's, I believe it's based on a self help book. Mm-hmm. But what really helps this film, I think, as opposed to, say, the chemistry, the raw chemistry of the two stars in, in My Fake Fiance, is the star power in this one. Mm. You turn every turn, there's a major movie star. Mm. Oh, it's Bradley Cooper. Oh, it's Jennifer Anderson. It basically tells a story of uh, interconnecting story arts, deals with challenges of reading or misreading human behavior series of different couples at different stages in their relationship and what they're working through to try and either create a relationship, save a relationship or progress a relationship. Mm. Um, and you know what? It's, it's a really weird one. This one actually kind of worked as well. Now a heads up, didn't get to see the whole thing. Um, but uh, based on the, the half of the film I did see, it, like I said, this one's actually kind of strong. Um the young Bradley Cooper is is quite funny to see because he's got this frosted blonde hair, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> uh, we have um, we have uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston and um, Ben Affleck as a couple, which I 
think mm-hmm. they were a real couple ever time or they were about to become think, one. I don't think those two have got together. Shell will know. Comment Shell if they got together. I reckon they did. Um, and then we have Jennifer Connolly and uh, uh, is hooked up with Bradley Cooper. He's cheating on her. She is this uptight, anal retentive uh, partner who just desperately hanging on to this relationship that she refuses to, to say die for until, you know, we're not give up until but Bradley Cooper at the same time can't give up on uh, his uh, affair he's having with um, a very young Scarlett Hansen who is mm-hmm. absolutely smoking in his film. Mm-hmm. Um, now, well, probably one of the main attractions for me uh, in this film is the director. It is directed by Ken Quapis. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but K-W-A-P-I-S. Mm. Does that name sound familiar to you? Because it should. No. We he we looked at one of his films earlier late last year, I think it was the he directed Vibes. Remember Vibes? Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I remember Vibes. <laughs> so it has another a very, movie that shouldn't have been as good as, as, good as it was. was it was and again, Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum, it just kind of worked. Um, so look, I mean, it, again, this one's actually quite entertaining. It's quite light, quite fun. Um, and I guess it comes down to a, a, a sort of its central premise of the idea: if someone's interested in you, they'll let you know. They'll find a way to let you know. So, mm. the um, I guess the thing that we do as human beings, when you're, you know, does this person like me? Do they not like me? Is this relationship going somewhere? Is it not going somewhere? Um, that angle of you know, if someone wants. I think that's the point of a book, if I'm not mistaken. I've not read it. Mm. <laughs> if someone likes you, they'll let you know. At the same time, there's also some really nice stuff in here with um, Jennifer Connelly's character of being uh, in a relationship with someone for a long period of time, but finding yourself at a point in time where you've drifted apart so much that the person you're in this relationship with is a stranger. Mm. And, you know, I think it probably a lot of people would be familiar with that because it kind of feel like it's almost become a cliche with just people I know and, you know, TV shows and stuff like that. But mm. it's happened to me and it's a really fucking weird feeling when you're like, yeah. I've been with this person, I've lived with this person for 10 years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden one day you realize actually they're kind of a stranger to you. You're kind of strangers to each other. You've kind of drifted that far apart that you don't actually know each other anymore. You don't really know mm. how to interact as a couple anymore. It's mm. really weird, and I, it's actually really nicely done by two very talented actors there. Um, really? So uh, there we, we our less bloggy segment of the show. There you um, go. If you, like Shell, think we're too bloggy for our own good, if you have a romantic comedy, but a guilty pleasure. I mean, look, we had um, Serene, your mate the other week, who was giving us mm-hmm. um, her guilty yep. pleasure. You know, uh, Siren, Siren Divine gave us Thomas and the Magical Railroad. Hmm. So we will not soon forget that one. No, no, we will not. And she will pay. She will pay dearly for that one. Now, I'm going to just quickly close off the show, I think, unless there was anything else that you wanted to talk about. I'm going to come back next week because we had a lot of time here. Mm. But we will hopefully, I've watched the first episode of Star Trek Brave New World. Mm. Uh, and I think there should be episode two by this time next week. So okay. we can give you a, at the first episode, you know, I will be, be fooled by one episode again. I will not be fooled, sir. Uh, <laughs> we'll give it two episodes. We'll come back and give you an idea about whether it's worth watching. Okay. Well, I'm going to just finish off with my thoughts on Mike Myers' return to our screens in the Netflix 
series, comedy series, The Pentaveret, which is an interesting one. An unlikely Canadian journalist finds himself embroiled in a mission to uncover the truth and just possibly save the world. It's about a secret, secret, secret society called the Pentaveret that have been around since the Black Death. Um, and they are a collection of five of the most intelligent minds of the age. And we are introduced to them with the delightful voiceover of Jeremy Irons. And their new inductee, um, played by where is he? How is he? There, there he goes. Uh, Keegan Michael Key, and it's an interesting choice because he plays his doctor who comes in and he's essentially kidnapped, and it's kind it's kind of a cool opening because you see him in this helicopter with his two uh, a pilot and a co-pilot, and they're not saying or anything to saying or doing anything to him he's there freaking out so like you can't just kidnap someone this is this is the modern age this is america come on you can't do this i'm black blah blah blah, blah. and then there um the pilot is talking to the pentaveret headquarters and it's like yep and they say oh um put on blindfolds now and he just um keegan uh keegan key who plays um hobart clark um, just overhears this and is like, "What? Well, I'm putting on blindfold on, but the pilot puts their headphones, uh, their, their eyes on themselves. They are not allowed to know where they're landing. And it, the remote gets taken, the, the chopper gets taken over by remote and they land and is introduced to the Pentaveret, which is played by Mike Myers doing many characters. Um, he plays Bruce Baldwin, Ken Scarborough, Lord Lordington, Mishu, Ivanov, Shep Gordon, Anthony Lansdow, Rex Smith, and Jason Eccleston. And it's kind of your typical Mike Myers sort of fair. There's a lot of dick jokes, and there's a strange air of space balls to the whole thing but not as funny and not as intelligent um i've watched three episodes of it and is i i laughed once where and it's this scenario where um one of the characters um uh, that mike plays the canadian journalist every time it cuts to stuff in canada it's four by four by three screen and not in HD. And they go to a Canadian um, conspiracy con, can uh, con con. And one of the conspiracies is that Canada has low, lower resolution than the rest of the world. <laughs> and, then, and then they're in this uh, like beaten up van and they cross over from Canada to America, and there's just this great spot, and it's the one bit that made me laugh. It's the border, and it's split in the middle, and you just have standard high definition on the American side, and then the low resolution side on Canada, and then it just carries on, and it's like it's it's a good visual gag that just works, and it got me. 
it was funny. But so that, that joke, I thought that joke was pretty funny when I saw it the first time in Star South Park and the Stick of Truth. Exactly. Exactly. And it was done better then. Um, but it was still, it still got me because I like repetition and safety. Um, I may keep watching. I'm three episodes in and so far not a single thing has surprised me. It's getting trashed by reviewers. People are not enjoying it. It's currently sitting, where is it sitting? 6.1 on IMDb. Yeah. So that's higher than I was expecting. Um, but I don't know. I, I just saw it because it was new and I thought, oh, sure, let's see what Mike Myers does if he's given free you're, reign. You're to a do lot more thing than me. I see Mike Myers in multiple roles. You know, once upon a time, you're like, ooh, and now, now you're yeah. like, oh, you're like, yeah. he is not Peter Sellers. No, he is not, no matter how much he tries. Um, yeah, because the last thing that he did that I realized that he was in, because he was in Bohemian Rhapsody, but I don't remember him in that. He was uh, the record company guy who talked about no one's going to be banging their head in the car to this. It was like the most... Memorable scene in the film? Eh. <laughs> I don't remember much of that movie, to be honest. Um, it wasn't great. There was a lot of Shrek. Oh, Inglorious Bastards. That's right. That was the last thing that I saw him in. Oh, right. He played uh, was it Winston General Churchill. Ed Fenich. Yeah. That's right. But beyond that, he the last um, actual performance that he put in was back in 2003, Cat in a Hat. Everything else was... He was in The Love Guru in 2008. Yeah, but that was I'm like thinking of the worst ever made. ignoring that. <laughs> you were, it was probably good of you to, to give it a pass because it's yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> it's been talking this week about maybe doing a... Uh, been talking about doing a fourth uh, Austin Powers film and how keen he is to do it. I'm like, oh, God, please. No. Yeah. You know they will, but... Yeah, it's just, just no, the third one they shouldn't have done either, but never mind. Um, yeah, but my review of the Pentaveret is steer clear. There's plenty of other humdrum, boring comedy things out there that you could waste your time on. Don't watch this. Don't give them your time, please. It sucks. That's it. That's all I have to go. say on that. Uh, it's, that's all you have to say about that. <laughs> it, I mean, I just look at it and go, no, I'm sorry. He's he's poisoned now. He's box office poison. He's like, he's done yeah. been it's been 20 plus years since he's hot trick, you know, and like mm-hmm. um he has nothing but crap ever since. And especially with scenes yeah. where he does 15 different characters. Focus on one, Mike. Do one yeah. properly. It'll get one right. And that's the that's the big problem with this, is like none of the characters are particularly endearing. Um and, or particularly memorable even in any way so it's like okay you're spreading yourself painfully thin on stuff that's already shitty don't don't do it dude get just hire other people please look i guess if this is what he likes doing and you can't criticize the man like he's probably rolling in cash and i think the reason he'd step back from doing a lot of a lot of film work was so he could be a dad um, and so you can't really criticize that considering yeah, he must have been, you know, 
he must have made squillions of dollars from <coughs> the, the um the Austin Powers films, the Wayne's World films, and then the Shrek films just would have just been massively, you know, just the merchandising and stuff. And I have to imagine he got very well paid for them. So, yeah. you know, if you want to step away from a lot of work to do to do be a dad, you can't criticize that. But like that's fine. It would be he's such a talent. It would mm-hmm. be nice to see that used more effectively than he has been in most recent stuff. Didn't he do that yeah. gong show thing? We did the gong show thing where he played the they did like a, a piss take on the gong show and he was like pretending to not be himself, but he was. I don't know what that one would have been. Um, um I'm pretty sure um uh Joe Blow did a video on him recently. Uh which they yeah, talked about constantly it. copying us. I, they are. Uh, it was called The Gong Show. Um, okay. And it was from 2018. Uh-huh. He emceed a show. Yeah, it was 2017. He, he played, he hosted the show as somebody else. It's um, okay. The Gong Show. Tommy played someone called Tommy Maitland as the host, but it was him. So it was a bit weird. Okay. Interesting. If you like The Gong Show, I strongly recommend Confessions of a Dangerous Mind because that was really good. Yes. That was about the guy who and hosted the original Gong Show. Side note, there's a, just just a little touch of Confessions of a Dangerous Mind to the unbearable weight of immeasurable talent. That's a high praise indeed because I love in, that. In a, good, in a very good way. Yeah, in a very good way. So, so, yeah. That's our message to Mike Myers, who I'm certain listens to the show. Of course he does. Of course he does. We've said his name many times. He will appear. <laughs> <laughs> in the mirror somewhere. In not. fact, I'm going to take off my mask now and reveal myself. We're, we're both played by Mike Myers tonight. <laughs> As was Anthony Hayes. How how has he not worked that out that there needs to be a Michael Mike Myers filter so that Someone on Skype everyone that. can just be Mike Myers? Yes. If there is, we'll put it on one day if we can. There we go. <laughs> Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on episode 144 of Armchair Producers. We talked a deep spoiler cast on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We also talked about the 2005 version of Fantastic Four. We are following on from there with Kerry Washington to the 2004 movie Ray. Um, I talked about the unbearable weight of massive talent Travis talked about my fake fiance and he's just not that into you. I had a few little things to say about Big Bug and as I just finished up with there. What was it? The Pentavera. That's right. That's <laughs> it's so memorable. <laughs> so memorable. I forgot. We're just talking off. about it. That's how memorable it is, people. Well, you, we can't talk about it. It can never be exposed. Indeed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, next week we've got Ray. Um Hopefully, if Travis gets a chance to, to watch it, the unbearable weight of immeasurable talent will be talked about again by him. Um, otherwise, I don't know. I don't have anything specific on well, my dance card. The Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, oh, yes. Strange New Worlds for you. We will have a, a talk about, hopefully, episode one and two of that. Mm. Else. And um, there's the new Netflix show with Josh Brolin. Oh, God. Uh, not Netflix, sorry. Um, Amazon. Uh, oh yes, Outer Ranges. Outer Ranges. Yeah, that has got me interested. So I'm going to try and uh, watch a little bit of that. 
Um, a ranger fights for his land and family discovers an unfathomable mystery at the edge of Wyoming's wilderness. So, and uh, George will give us his thoughts on My Fake Fiancé, so it's going to be good. Not watching My Fake Fiancé, you fuck. <laughs> How rude. On that note, we should say goodnight before he's extra rude to me again. <laughs> Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye.